This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Here you go. Here you go. Furlough. Nothing personal word of the day is furlough. Today is Thursday, May 14th, 2020. What's a furlough? We've heard a lot about it. A lot of companies. So I was watching actually a YouTube video portion of this show. You can listen to it. You can download, subscribe. Thank you. Make sure you tell your friends about nothing personal. I tend to touch the power cord of my device, which has the rundown of the show that Coco always talks to me about and through me. I'm touching it a lot. And I just noticed I did it again. Furlough. Word came out that the Miami Marlins have furloughed up to 40% of their baseball operations employees after making furloughs in the business operations department earlier last month. Got a lot of attention. People were saying, hey, you're going to talk about that, right? You are going to come down on Derek Jeter and Bruce Sherman for furloughing employees. No, I'm not. I want to explain to you what furloughing means, what Owners could have decided what they are deciding, and at the end of the day, what it all means. And I want to put it in perspective in terms of other businesses, too. The Marlins are not going to be the only team to furlough employees. Think about this. If there's no minor league baseball, what exactly is the purpose of having a double-A manager or a double-A pitching coach or a double-A hitting coach when there are no double-A games? You have been hired specifically to come to spring training. It's called minor league spring training. You work with the minor leaguers. You put your team together. Then you get on the bus and you have a 100-game season, 120-game season, and you help players develop. That's your job. Okay. What happens when there's no minor league season and you can't do any part of your job? Why is it that you think that you're going to be able to keep your job? There is absolutely no reason in the world that any business right now is keeping employees who do not do the work for which they were hired. Whether it's because of coronavirus, whether it's because your business has changed. An example, what about the old days in uh, the factory plants when people were making cars and they were attaching doors by hand onto the frame of the car? And then robot machines were invented to put the doors on, and those people were furloughed, as in fired, as in redistributed in the job market. If you are a door putter honor, you better learn to do something else because now we have machines to do it. Baseball is not dissimilar from other businesses. I always try to explain that throughout my years. 
My job as president of a team was to make decisions that were in the best interests of the business. When those interests are aligned with our fans, that's terrific and that's a bonus. When those interests are not, I have to choose the business first because that's my job. Why are restaurants furloughing so many of their servers and dishwashers? If there are no dishes and no meals being served, those employees would get furloughed. What the Marlins did agree to do, and many companies are trying to do this, is they are still paying a percentage of health benefits for those furloughed employees. That's not something they had to do. Derek Jeter didn't do that for me when I was fired. Well, actually, I resigned. Remember that whole thing was that I resigned? I guess I was told that I could resign or else I would get fired. I think I just left. I don't even remember. I just remember packing bags and boxes and walking out the door as he walked in. It's really all I remember about that. That's called a permanent furlough. That's a different word of the day. What baseball is doing is saying we do not need employees right now who are not going to assist us in either increasing our revenue or putting our major league product on the field. Will these employees come back if minor league season would start? Yes. If there is a full season, will certain scouts get rehired to do their job? Yes. The days of traveling around instead of video scouting, could they be over? They're certainly going to be changed. The amount of money that we had to spend as a baseball team on scouts staying on the road for 280 days a year, it's a huge amount. Is there a more efficient way to do it? Likely. So when you sit together as a team, here's what happens when the pandemic work stoppage. We told you on nothing personal about the plans we put together, plans if there's a strike or lockout, how long we can survive, and then which employees would be let go when, in what order. That's the same exercise they're doing with the pandemic. The difference is you don't know what baseball will look like when it does restart. You don't know whether there'll be a minor league season. You don't know whether fans will be allowed. You don't know whether companies who normally spend money with you to sponsor items or giveaways, you don't know whether they're going to pay their bills. So therefore, you make a list and you start with all the employees who are dealing with players when there are no players to deal with. The tricky part comes that if you add up the salaries of all the people furloughed, when I say a baseball team furloughs 100 people, let's pretend 100 people are making $50,000 each. Some are making more, some are making less. Coca, do in your head right now, 100 players times 50,000. That's six zeros. How many millions of dollars is that, would you say? Let's just say it's $5 million. I could be wrong. I could be right. I don't feel like getting my phone out, but let's just say it's $5 million. What do you think? Is it 500 grand coca? Is it 5 million? Are you trying to do it in your head? Are you thinking, well, wait a minute. Is that six zeros for 50,000 times five times a hundred? That's two zeros. I think it's just, what is it? 5,000? Yes, coca. It's 5 million bucks. So I sit down and I say to my owner, what do I do here? I can get rid of a hundred employees. Or I can get rid of Corey Dickerson. And I don't know Corey Dickerson. I'm making him up. I think his salary is about $8 million. What if I do that? Then we're even. Let's save the jobs of these people. Well, the problem is that doesn't work in the real world of baseball because I can't guarantee to my owner that I can trade Corey Dickerson once transaction freezes are over. 
because I'm not sure of any teams who are actually going to be taking on salary. Now, if I can then trade Corey Dickerson, which I would want to do if I'm the Marlins, lower my payroll because I'm not going to be getting the revenue sharing that I expected to get. Can I then go back to Derek Jeter and say, hey, let's try to bring back some of these furloughed employees. And then his answer is going to be, well, if there's no minor league season, we need that extra savings because, for example, we lost the World Baseball Classic and the revenue that's associated with that. If you think this is a convoluted, confusing issue, it's really not. It's all about the dollars. There is a number on your P&L, on your profit loss statement. And then you go into a meeting with your executives and you say, come back to me when our profit and loss statement shows a much, much smaller loss. We are willing to have a $5 million loss and that's it. Well, you have to cut. It's sort of like the scene. Do you ever see a movie called, it's called Dave with Kevin Klein, where he becomes the uh, president of the United States and he's just a doppelganger for the actual president who had a heart attack while having sex with Laura Linney. In any case, so Charles Grodin plays the, the accountant of this regular guy. The accountant gets called to the White House where the regular guy is now the president. They look over the budget and they have to save $50 billion, $50 million, whatever the case is, and they start cutting out things left and right. That's actually how budget meetings go in a baseball scenario. You go through and say, okay, what departments can we cut from? What giveaways can we not do? What can we do on the concession side? And we come up with a number. And then if that's not good enough, you go to employee furloughing. The key with furloughing, don't forget, is that there's an opportunity for these men and women to be rehired. And they get to collect unemployment and they're still getting a percentage of their benefits paid by the Marlins and other teams and companies are trying to do the same thing meaning they pay a percentage of their insurance, health insurance benefits, and the company pays a percentage of their health insurance benefits. When they're furloughed, the company's still going to pay that slight percentage. That is a very, very, very nice perk. Now, if you get unemployment benefits, I want to give the math to you and tell you that it's somewhere around $50,000 is the equation, that if you're making $50,000 or under that, you can replace that income with unemployment, believe it or not. And you've got a health benefits that are being paid for in part by your company. I'm not trying to say furloughing is good. I'm not trying to say I don't feel for the people who've lost their jobs. What I am trying to say is that until baseball comes back, you are going to be seeing a lot more of this. We need baseball back. Well, I wonder whether Blake Snell agrees that we need baseball back. I wonder what position he's in right now because all I ever see him is on Twitcher. Is it Twitcher or Twatcher? Twatcher? Something where you play video games and people watch you play video games. I can't remember what it's called. I'm not on it. I think it's Titch. Anyway, he's on it all the time. And uh, he got himself in it, stepped in it. Blake Snell stepped in it today, and we have to talk about it. By the way, as an owner in the old days, as a president, I can only tell you that Blake Snell is a dream come true for me. Having a player like him say what he said, it's just, it's like mana from heaven. You can't believe, and this happens all the time, and each time I'm as incredulous as I was the last. You can't believe how great it is when players open their mouths and say stuff 
that is so bad. It hurts their negotiating position so much that it just it made me warm inside. There were players I would go up to and I would talk to actually when I would see that. And I would talk to them in the food room during dinner, after a game, before a game, sometimes during a game. You'd be surprised how many people are actually in the clubhouse during a game. We've got to stop that, of course. Thank you, Coco. Sleep at the switch. He just said it's called Twitch. Thank you. That was four minutes ago, Maddie. All right? Hello? 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 Everything okay? Are you distracted by my pink shirt and sort of pinkish blazer? The way I come up, if you're watching this on YouTube, the way I come up with outfits is that I have my blazers in a row and I always wear the one that's next. And then when I'm done for the day, I put it at the end and then move them all along the line. I actually do that with socks, with underwear, with handkerchiefs, with uh, blazers and with shirts. So it's super easy to get dressed in the morning. No matter what, I have an order. So I don't know that this actually matches. Most of it is covered by the microphone, but you can sort of see the pink shirt, which later on in the show is going to have a lot more significance why I'm wearing this exact shirt because I went out of order. So I'm a little, you know, formished at the moment because I wore a shirt that was not in line to be worn today, but I had to go out of order, which sort of blew my mind. So Blake Snell was on his Twitch account playing video games and he was asked about the new revenue 50-50 split that was proposed by the owners, I guess. A fan must have asked him. And he had some great quotes. He gave a two-minute video saying basically this. I'm not playing for less money. I'm risking my life with this coronavirus. And you're asking me to take less money. I'm already paying taxes on the money I'm going to make. I'm already taking a haircut of half my pay. I was due to make 7 million or 11 million. Now I'm only going to make, what is he making, Cocos? 11 or 7, I can't remember. I want to say 11. He was making 11 million as part of, he's got a long-term $50 million deal. I think this year is 11. So this year, I'd only would get $5.5 million. And I got to go out and play and risk my health. But Blake, you're only playing half the games. I don't care that I'm playing half the games. I want my full salary. I am not playing for less. This is the same Blake Snell. He's at 7.6 this season. Thank you, Coca. Appreciate that. So half of 7.6. Say it. Say it. Yeah, 3.8. 3.8 million would be his salary. How's that for a little tone deafness? I agree that owners and players all have a little bit of tone deafness. Regular people ordinary, exciting, happy people who are living their lives, trying to get from one day to the next, are not all that interested in Blake Snell or David Sampson or anyone who starts crying poor and saying, oh, woe is me. We're going to lose all this money. Oh, I don't want to play baseball for under $3.8 million. But this is Blake Snell who's basically saying, I am worried for my life. I am risking because of corona. Well, did you know? that only two months ago, Blake Snell said the following. I think the media kind of hypes up the coronavirus, Snell said. If they want to look out for our health, that's cool. But I'm not too worried about it. If I get it, I get it. If I don't, I don't. Either way, it was meant to be. Sounds like Bob Dylan. Those are great lyrics, Blake. I wonder if you can twitch yourself some lyrics that take those feelings into account and then do a TikTok that shows a switch of what changed from then to now. 
because now you said that if you get coronavirus, you're risking permanent damage to your body. It's hard enough to pitch a baseball, but now with the Rona, he called it. He may have said the Corona. I think he said the Rona. Either way, with coronavirus or COVID-19, there is now a risk of permanent lung damage or kidney damage or epidermis damage. Hard to know what's permanent, hard to know what's not. Hasn't been around long enough, but the fact of the matter is, (laughs) Blake Snell said he's not going to play. So what does this mean for baseball? This is what I want to explain to you all. It doesn't mean squat. The union looks at what Blake Snell says and doesn't even give it a thought. The owners look to see what Blake Snell says, and they latch onto it. Because they, if they see one little fissure in the union, what they would try to do is what I would try to do. I would get to my players and say, listen, do you believe and agree with what Blake said? Do you not understand that, A, we're trying to take care of the health aspect, but, B, do you understand that no season You're right, it would hurt us, but you understand that you're getting older and you'd have a full year of not playing, making no money. And Blake Snell says you're all fine with that. Blake Snell says that he's looking forward to 2021. I'd like you to sort of just take the temperature of a couple of the guys on the team and see where their heads are. It's called dividing and conquering. I learned that as a kid, it is a hugely impactful way to get what you want, divide and conquer. Blake Snell has given us an opportunity to do some major dividing and conquering, and that's what you're going to see owners do as they negotiate here through the weekend, which they're going to do as they try to get a deal on what the economic realities will be. Obviously, there are pressures to start baseball again, to get sports going again. We're going to talk about that. But Blake Snell just put it on a tee for us. Thank you, Blake. Okay. Survivor 40, Winners at War. Did you watch it? I got a lot of Survivor stories to tell. I want to talk about Survivor for quite a bit. Survivor's a TV show. If you don't know it, then I'm going to risk the 90 to 95% retention rate. And I'm going to risk alienating you and boring you and upsetting you. But if you like Survivor then you are going to be glued to your device for the next few minutes. Because I watched the finale last night, and my original season when I was on Survivor was Survivor 28. It was filmed in the Luzon province of the Philippines. Excuse me. Again, I don't know why I said excuse me. I guess on YouTube you can see that I coughed, but when you're listening to this on Apple. By the way, we're getting close to the end of the month again. Make sure you go on Apple, five-star review, please. Write a review, ask a question. There will be an end-of-month mailbag pod where I get to answer all your questions. Different than So You Want to Talk to Samson. These are just sort of general, personal, interesting questions that I would get to as you've listened to the, hopefully you've listened to the March, April, May bonus mailbag pods. Thank you for that. So Survivor 28 took place in uh, the Philippines. The way it works is, I want to tell you my quick story of Survivor, very quick, because I want to get to Tony. Tony Vlacos won last night. He is the ultimate Survivor. Survivor 40 was called Winners at War. It was 20 winners out of the previous 39 seasons. 20 people back trying to become a two-time winner. One woman named Sandra has won Survivor twice. She's known as the Queen of Survivor. 
Who could ever beat her? She's won $2 million. Well, this year, the winner of Survivor got $2 million. So whoever was going to win the game was going to have a total career prize winnings of $3 million. Unless Sandra won, then she'd have her original two plus two more to be four. Sandra didn't win. Spoiler alert, Tony won. Tony's now won $3 million. Now, I'm going to have Blake Snell talk to Tony so they both understand that they have to do what Richard Hatch, the winner of Survivor, the original Survivor, didn't do. When you get money, you do have to pay taxes like the rest of us. So $2 million ends up, let's just say, you're at a 40% tax rate. You end up netting $1.2 million. Not too shabby. But when someone says, yeah, I won $2 million, it's not like they have $2 million. When a player makes... million. They don't actually have $7.6 million in their bank account. When you have a job for $50,000, you don't actually have $50,000 in your bank account at the end of the year. Taxes are normal. So Tony won Survivor 40, and I've been in touch with Tony now since 2013 when we played the same season, Survivor 28. And the reason I brought up the pink shirt that I'm wearing that you may be seeing if you're watching this on video, this is the exact shirt I wore to the reunion. Because at the end of the season, when they declare a winner, and in Survivor 28, they declared Tony the winner, it was in L.A. You fly out to L.A., and it was the first time that I had actually had a chance to meet many of the people from my own season because I was eliminated so early that I actually never got to see in-person people other and talk to them. Of course, you see them in the challenge. You saw them pregame. So uh, there's so much activity that goes on pregame in Survivor. You've got to get ready to play. You get medical checked. You get psychiatric checked. You get costume checked. You get, uh, they take some pictures. You do some interviews. But you're not talking to anyone other than people who work for the show. So you don't, they don't, you don't get a chance. And the purpose, if you think about it, makes perfect sense. You don't want any pre-existing relationships that are not caught on camera. They want to get on camera as part of the show when you first meet people, how it goes when you first meet someone who you've been looking at for a while, but you have never actually heard their voice. So I got a chance and I've been looking at Tony for a long time because we originally met in December before we filmed in July of 2000. I met him in December of 12, met him in July of 13 for a season that debuted in February of 14. That's sort of the timeline. In December of 12, we went to L.A. I didn't know anybody, of course, because you're called out to interview with Jeff Probst and Mark Burnett, and you take an IQ test, and you get some shots and all sorts of various other things. So you have an opportunity to see people who are also trying out for the show, because in theory, it's trying out. You're, You're sort of trying to be cast. And I recall the obscene Tony as part of that, and didn't think much of it, right? You don't really know who's going to be on your cast. So you don't think anything about it. It takes up none of your time. But then when you get to LA on your way to fly to where you're going, and at that time, all of Survivor was not filmed in Fiji. It was filmed in different places each season. So we had no idea where we would be going. We thought it would be the Philippines because the season before had been in the Philippines, but you really don't know where it's going to be. It could have been Nicaragua, it could have been Central America, it could have been Asia, it could have been Australia. You just don't know. So you get to LA and they, they go through and, and you, they, they take all your stuff and uh, you then meet the next morning and you go to the airport in silence with guards. You have to fly all the way to the Philippines without talking 
ever to anyone, which made me insane, by the way. And Tony was there. And there were a bunch of other people who I'd seen during finals casting, including Sarah Lucina, including Spencer Bledsoe, including Cass McQuellen. She was there as well. And I looked at Tony and I just started judging people. And one of the great problems in the world is when people judge a book by its cover, never judge a book by its cover. It is so easy to do and so hard to stop. And it is the biggest mistake you can make in life. Because of the way someone looks, that gives you no information about the way they sound. It gives you no information about the way they act. It gives you no information whether they're a good person or a bad person. It gives you nothing. Do not judge a book by its cover. Even the first 28 pages of the book, you can't really judge a book. You've got to get to know someone. So I had no chance to get to know Tony other than what I saw. And one of the questions I was asked by producers pregame, well, you've spent a few hours and a few days staring at people. Who do you think has the best chance to win the game? So I said, me, of course. Well, who else do you think? And I said, well, I don't know who can win, but I'll tell you, the bald guy with the shoulder tattoo, he's got no chance at all. And I was talking about Tony because to me, he looked like, and, and listen, this is, this is honest. And I've told Tony this. I completely judged him. He looked like someone who I didn't think was smart. He looked like someone who I thought was there because he was this sort of brawny, and I didn't know it was brains versus brawn versus beauty back then. We don't know what the theme of the season is. I just thought he was this strong-looking, masculine guy that I would be able to outsmart and outplay, and he would not take me seriously because he would figure that I was short and old and not strong and not athletic. And I'd be able to prove all those things, beat him in the social game, and it wouldn't be an issue. So I actually had him as the one who absolutely couldn't win. And it just shows how wrong I was. I never got to meet Tony until the first time was at the reunion the following May, almost a year later, almost a year and a half after I first met him in December and a year after filming. And Tony and I have been in touch ever since. He happens to be one of the nicest, smartest guys. And it's not that he can tell you about the theory of relativity. I'm not talking about that, that kind of smart because really that's not the only kind of smart. He has a level of street smarts and a level of understanding social situations, a level of understanding who's lying and what's going on more than most people I've ever met. When I knew that he was going to Winners of War, I didn't know how the season ended. I was watching last night, rooting, of course, for him and for Sarah Lucina. Those were the people I wanted, period, because those were my friends from Survivor Cagayan. You heard the shout-out during Survivor about her running seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. That's something that she and I did together, along with 15 other people. We got together and raised a lot of money for charity and ran around the world. And I just found it very interesting that as you look through these reality shows, as you get to know the people in them, and I'm still in touch with many people from my year, we're a very small family. Let's say there's only four or 500 of us who have ever played Survivor here in the US. And so you just, you're a part of this clique really is what it is. And being a part of the Survivor clique for me has always been important because it's given me a chance to prove time and time again that judging a book by its cover is a fool's game. And it helped me in my baseball career tremendously. 
It helped me understand what players were thinking, what players were doing. It helped me understand what agents were thinking and doing. It helped me understand how to get a ballpark built and operated. Survivor really has helped me in almost every way throughout my life, other than financially, because I didn't win. I mean, I was the first boot. Do you know that you are listening to someone who was one of only 39 people in the entire country to be voted off first on Survivor? And I say it proudly because 39 is not a lot of people. It's slightly more than the number of people who have thrown a perfect game in Major League Baseball. So I want to congratulate Tony very much and say to him that uh, as you go forward here, Tony, just remember that the way you played the game this year, where you were part crazy and part brilliant, part fox and part lion, and you kept the narrative going for the fans, you were the perfect winner for a season like this. You kept it interesting. You kept focused. And at the end of the day, you ended up with $2 million. The downside of the entire season, and I was ready to go to the reunion as a guest of Sarah and spend some time with her and Tony and everyone else. They didn't have a reunion. They only gave Tony one minute at the end of the three-hour episode to be interviewed. He was on Zoom with his family, beautiful wife, two kids. He's a great father, a great family man, truly taking care of his family, not just financially, but emotionally, really the complete package in a way that most people never can be, and I've never been, but in a way that is just, it's worthy of being mentioned. So congratulations to Tony, the rest of the cast. You gave us tremendous entertainment, and now it's over. Wait till the next season of Survivor. It hasn't even started filming because of Corona. It hasn't even started. <sighs> Disappointing. ML Beer Challenge is day 60. We hit 60, Coca. Can you imagine? Coca and I were, what we do before every show is we talk about the topics. We go through what we're going to be dealing with. And uh, we always compare beards. We say we got to explain to our audience, thank you for being so loyal, but you're going to hear it again. We're on day 60. We are not shaving our beards until Major League Baseball has an opening day. That is one of the reasons I need Blake Snell to back off. We need baseball. And for the first 100 days since we started this, it's only been 60. Can you imagine? It's been two months, Coca. 60 days. For the first 100 days, we're going to give $1,000 a day away to different charities. We've gone through MLB cities. Now we're going through NBA cities. We've taken a few left turns, a few right turns. We're up to the LA Clippers. We're getting toward the end of the NBA. We're going in reverse order of the Eastern Conference from worst to first. We've done it. Now we're on the Western Conference, worst to first. We've got the LA Clippers today. There are so many worthy organizations in Los Angeles. One of the problems that LA is having, and it's a significant problem, they're having it in terms of food and food distribution. So I'm going to be giving this day this $1,000. Uh, I usually choose a team's foundation, and I want to do it like that with the Clippers. The Clippers are owned by Steve Ballmer. Remember the guy from Microsoft who paid a couple bills? as in billions, I'm going to call that Giamatti's. A couple Giamatti's to get the Clippers. He has a foundation that does a tremendous amount of work. So $1,000 is going to the Clippers Team Foundation. If you're in LA, if you're a fan of the Clip Joint, if you want to be helpful, please, 
whatever you can do. So many people are raising money for so many different causes. Obviously, that goes on all the time, corona or no corona. The reality is in these moments, this is the opportunity to be as helpful as you can. Thank you. Clippers, day 60. It's the ML Beard Challenge. Ironically, there's been no clipping at all. You can't even see my lips anymore. I'm to the point, I need to hear from people with beards, please, at David P. Sampson. How do you eat and use a napkin? I go through 10 napkins per meal now because there's so much food that gets stuck on the top of my mustache, on the bottom of my mustache, top of my lip, and it like drips and then it gets caught in the beard. I don't get how you do it. I'm going through napkins and paper towels and it's, ugh, clippers, beard challenge. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Through the first round of the NBA playoffs, it's still all about the Celtics and the Nuggets. Will it be a likely matchup between the two powerhouses for the NBA championship? You can bet on the Celtics to beat the Nuggets at plus 400, or the Nuggets to beat the Celtics at plus 425 right now. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet five bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SAMSON. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quentin, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. So you want to talk to Samson? Yes, I do. At David P. Samson, come in, get into the DMs and ask a question. I'm going to answer it. This was an interesting one, and I want to go through it a little bit. Coke and I had a debate over whether or not we should answer this question and how we should answer this question. And we, we agreed that we're going to keep it in the show. We agreed that we could be treading here. I know that yesterday I talked a little bit about politics. On Nothing Personal, I talk entertainment. I talk sports, business, politics. My purpose has always been to give you information. I don't want to make you think the way I think. It's not necessary but I want to make you think. So into So You Want to Talk to Samson came a question. I want to talk to Samson, exclamation point. Would you ever debate a public figure on the air about sports and COVID? I would love to hear you and another compete, argue, and debate on the air. It would be a ratings monster. And I would bet dollars to donuts it would be the number one thing trending anywhere. I bet you'd gain millions of followers. You are, get ready for this, you are the second most likable slash unlikable person on media next to Stu Gotts. 
Hashtag Team Samsonites. I don't hide from any negativity I get. I don't hide from any positivity. You know this if you listen to any of the bonus pods that I've done. I don't really take any criticism to heart. I don't take any compliments to heart. I try to do my job and be interesting and entertaining. If I can cause a smile or two, if I can cause you to think or to examine an issue in a way that you didn't think to examine it, then I've done my job. But to be named the second most likable, unlikable person, I just want to thank the Academy. I just want to thank everyone and Coca, my producer. I want to thank my agent, Jerry, and everyone out there who has made me what I am. I am the second most likable, unlikable person in the media. I love you guys. But I do want to debate a public figure. Now, the name that was suggested, it doesn't matter who it is. Here's how debates work. I can take any side of an argument and I can convince you that my side is the right side. So the argument is, have we taken COVID and the precautions too far? Is it time to open up everything because of the economic impact that has been had due to the shutdown? Well, I can take both sides of that argument, though there are people in the media who are quite vociferous on either side, and generally it tends to be a left versus right situation. For me, it has nothing to do with politics at all. My job is to find a way to take what is real and adjust and get back to making money. That's what I have to do if I'm running a sports league or if I'm running a restaurant. Let's start with restaurants. Let's start with one side of the debate. Should we let restaurants open, full capacity, everyone goes, it's all good, forget the phases. I think that Miami, I think that Miami, did you hear that, Coca? I think I muted that just in time. I had special K and strawberries and raisins for breakfast today, and I just had a slight bit of reflux. I tried to hit the mute button, don't know whether I succeeded in time, certainly from a video standpoint. I likely did not. In any case, restaurants, 100% capacity. They can't open at 25% capacity because they're saying they're going to lose too much money. At 100% capacity, there's a concern from officials that that will lead to a lack of social distancing, a violation of the guidelines, and the potential for an increase in the curve that we have already flattened. There are arguments out there that the curve is now flattened, therefore we've done our job. We are done. All of the worry that we had with millions of deaths or even hundreds of thousands of deaths. We've passed that overcrowding of hospitals. We've avoided it. We're okay. We didn't need the big ship to come into New York, the comfort. We didn't need to convert the Javits Center in New York. While New York was the highest hit and worst hit place in the country, the biggest hotspot, the hospitals are now okay. We have no choice but to take risk. We've got to get out from under this economic blanket of bricks that we're under. So here's what we should do. Get out and start spending your money again. That is the view that many people are taking. Well, my counter to that view is the following. Your job, when you are in the media taking a, piece, taking a position that is so strict on one side or the other, is you have a chance that you're influencing people to make irresponsible decisions. And I am all in for freedom of speech. I love that you've got a radio show or some sort of podcast. And I love that you've got listeners, millions of people paying attention to what it is that you think should be done. 
The problem is you're not a politician and you have not been voted into office. And the sample size of people who actually listen to you is not representative of the responsibility that politicians have toward all of his or her citizens. Much like when you run a big company, you are responsible for all of your employees, which is why sometimes when you've got to fire a few or furlough a few in order to keep the many, you have no choice but to do that. It doesn't make it pleasant, doesn't make it nice, doesn't make it right, but it makes it the only path that you can take. When you are debating and telling me that all of the stats we're getting are wrong and that the number of COVID cases is actually smaller, the number of deaths is smaller, the number of COVID cases is larger, the number of deaths is larger, we're given all of these stats. From that, we are supposed to make decisions as citizens what we should be doing. As a sport, baseball should be deciding what it should be doing. The problem is we don't have the actual numbers. We need to know actual information. I said it yesterday on Nothing Personal. If you don't have the right amount of information in the right way being put into your brain, you cannot come out with a right solution or a right response to a question. Why would the governor of Arizona and the governor of Florida say we're ready for sports right now? Let's go today. Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, came out and said, we will host NBA teams right now. Now. I've cut a deal with the college stadiums up in Tallahassee or Gainesville or wherever they are. We're in like Flynn. We can do it. That's two days in a row of in like Flynn. I never really explained what the in like Flynn was because Coco was asleep at the switch. In like Flynn actually re- refers to Errol Flynn, former actor who was Will Chamberlain before Will Chamberlain was Will Chamberlain. And he were in like Flynn. It means you were GTG. Good to go. So why is it that Arizona and Florida are making these decisions the way they are? Unfortunately, it's not based on anything other than politics, but my debate would be the following. I want sports to start, but the reason a bubble won't work and the reason why moving all NFL games to Florida won't work is or moving the NBA to one area or moving Major League Baseball, two and three different topics. Basketball in one place, play for a month and a half, find a way to get the families there, move everyone, keep distancing, get testing, there's a chance. <clears throat> Football. You fly in Friday night. You play Sunday. Maybe you now fly in Saturday, play Sunday. Maybe you now fly in the day of game. Play the game, fly right back out. No hotels necessary. Maybe you're just looking for a field. Well, if that's the case, and there aren't going to be fans anyway, then you can play in your hometown. You don't need to all come to Florida. You have to know that when Governor DeSantis is saying something, he's doing it from his political vantage point. Broward, where I am, Miami-Dade, where I am, down in South Florida, we are starting phase one of opening on Monday. The debate has been, why not go right to phase four? Why not just turn on the light switch? Let's get back to normal now. The people who are proposing that are proposing that without the proper forethought. If I had to debate that side, I would say, listen, let's the... Market take care of itself. Turn on the switch, open everything. People know the rules. If they are over 65, if they're immunocompromised, they know the risks. 
They know if they're in close contact with someone who is immunocompromised for over 65 and they go out and they don't take care of themselves, that they could be responsible for the death of someone else. It's the same thing as when I drive on 95 with an older relative. Yikes. I may be responsible for the death of an older relative because of the insanity of driving. Yes, I understand there are risks involved in everyday life. Therefore, know your risk. KYR, get out there and let's open. That's a point of view that I could argue. The other side that I would debate is, no, you can't open things all at once because companies need to learn how to operate. And in order to learn how to operate with new rules and new guidelines and new laws, they need to do it in steps. They need to figure out how it will work from a pricing standpoint if you can only have 25% capacity in your salon. How many people need to be let go because we only can have 25% of the people doing manicures, pedicures, haircuts, et cetera? What do I need to do in order to make my rent when I only have 25% capacity? What negotiations do I need to have with my landlord? When do I know that it's actually enough that I'm going to stay in business? What's my inflection point of the capacity that I'm allowed? How much business I'll need? How many hours I'll have to stay open? Those decisions all come with experience of operating something. You don't know what the result of your company will be until you start slowly. No one starts something all in and then has it be that way and never change. It's adjustments. So you're asking me if I would debate anybody, a public figure on the air right now, and I would take any position because the voices you're hearing on sports talk radio or on sports talk radio TV, those voices are all coming at you without any knowledge of actual operation of a league or a team or a restaurant or a salon. They're really good at what they do by giving you issues and giving you their viewpoints. I'd like to take it a step further. I want to give you the issues and let you decide what your viewpoint is. Wait to see. Wait to see is when I make a choice and I've made a choice. I'm making a choice. Oliver Luck and Vince McMahon will settle their lawsuit. It's a pretty big lawsuit. Oliver Luck was the commissioner of the XFL. He's suing Vince McMahon right now, the owner of the XFL, because he wants his money. Now, Vince McMahon filed for bankruptcy. Up, uh, you caught me. You're right, it wasn't Vince McMahon. The XFL fired for bankruptcy. That's the biggest difference here. The XFL filed for bankruptcy. There's a list of creditors. Oliver Luck's name was not on that list, and Oliver Luck is owed, let's say, over $10 million. He wants his money. Why is Oliver Luck suing? Because Vince McMahon personally guaranteed that Oliver Luck would get paid. That is a very rare thing. When we sign a player, there is no personal guarantee that that player will get, will get paid. That player would become a creditor of the team and the league if the team and league went bankrupt. But if an owner personally guarantees that a player would get paid, that player then gets to garnish the wages of the owner or go take the yacht of the owner or the house of the owner or any other assets of the owner, liquidate them and get paid because the owner made a personal guarantee. In my career, making personal guarantees would be the single thing that I would avoid like the plague. 
I had to do it a few times where I would guarantee a car that would be given to our executives. I would personally guarantee that the Marlins would pay the payments for that car for its top executives. And I was fine doing that because I did the math. If the employees would run away with the car and the Marlins would go bankrupt and not be able to pay the car payments and the company would come to me and say, hey, Samson, you personally guaranteed it. You better pay for that car. I said, yeah, I'll have to buy 10 or 12 cars, but it won't ruin me. Vince McMahon will have to pay Oliver Luck some amount of money because he gave a personal guarantee. No matter whether he used the cell phone for personal reasons, no matter whether he signed a player who McMahon didn't want, no matter whether he stunk at his job, he was fired and it's not for cause. Oliver Luck will get money from Vince. You wait to see. It's going to settle because Vince knows this better than anybody. It's just business. It's nothing personal. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.